As songwriters, it's important that we transition from being simply consumers of music to also being students of music. This doesn't mean that we can't just listen to music for fun. It doesn't mean that we always need to be analytical about every single song we hear, but it is always important as a person who is a creator to have their eyes open and to be out there observing other art forms and especially your own art form so you can learn from what others have done specifically in your artistic space, in our case songwriting, but it's also really helpful in other art forms. But today we're specifically talking about how to listen specifically to melodies of other songs so that you can learn from them and integrate what you learn into your own music. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to the 130th episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joseph Adala. Today, we are talking about melodies specifically. We're talking about how to listen to melodies of other songs in order to learn from them so that we can be better at writing melodies in our own songs because we're songwriters, so we want to learn from other music. We don't just want to be passive consumers. We want to be active learners. Let's talk about it. Melody. First thing to look at, call and answer. Most melodies, fundamental concept of not, not just melodies, but music in general, is the concept of call and answer. Music is like a conversation, right? A call, in a conversation, there's a call and an answer. You say something, somebody else says something. You say something, somebody else says something. You ask a question, somebody answers that question. You ask a question in your own brain, you answer the question in your own brain, right? Like, communication is is a key life experience, right? And music is very much, like, like most art, right? It is founded in communication. It's communicating something. And there's this call and answer. That's just intrinsic to music melodies specifically. And if you don't really know what the call and answer concept is, just think of how most songs, and listen for this, right? Most songs have, as far as melodic structure, there will generally be sort of like an A phrase, a B phrase, then back to an A phrase, back to a B phrase, usually. Now, of course, there are change-ups, right? I personally am a big fan of having a chorus where you go like A, B, A, B, and then like this C section that we haven't quite seen before because it changes it up and really lets that last part of the chorus shine rather than the last part of the chorus just being a repetition of what we already heard. So there are certainly some other elements and certainly call and answer also has a lot more to it than just phrase call and answer but we're not getting into that today i think i talked about that in a previous episode but specifically here we're talking about phrases so as far as melodic phrases right often in in a verse if you look phrase by phrase the first phrase and the third phrase have the exact same melody and the second phrase and the fourth phrase will have the exact same melody usually or at least like the first and the third will be the same, and the second and the fourth are almost the same. But generally speaking, all of the phrases are similar enough that you could tell they all belong to the same song, right? Usually there's a slight difference. Do you love me? Yes, I love you, right? Like, there's there's this, this parallelism almost. Like, they're, they're both very similar. Oftentimes, your, your phrases, right? The first one and the second one will literally have like a one-note difference. In the first one, you'll have the same beginning melody, and then you'll go up 
for the last note. And then the second one, you'll go down for the last note. And that's the only difference. That's very, very common. So look for that. Something you want to utilize in your music. Shouldn't have disjointed phrases. Second thing, ascending and descending. Word painting's a thing. And often there is also an element of your melody communicates certain emotions. Your melody communicates things along with your lyrics. It's the combination of those two along with the arrangement and their their relationship to the chords and the arrangement that all come together to hopefully communicate the one message. I don't want to say message. The one, you know, thing your song is trying to communicate. So it's important to note how ascending versus descending melodies are used, right? When going up, what's the purpose of it, right? Is it just, is the melody going up just, just for fun? Or is the melody going up because it's, it's coinciding with like a, a raise, rising hope or something? Is it, is it coinciding with the artist talking about something that's 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 more and more stressful. So they, they the the tension rises with the melody rising, right? Is 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 the descending of the melody reflective of some loss of hope, right? Like there's so many different ways that we can utilize ascending and descending and the certain emotions that they can give together with the lyrics to really communicate one cohesive idea. So be sure to look for that. Steps versus skips or leaps. You can use either term, but basically a lot of music involves stepwise motion, but really we have two types of motion in music. Stepwise steps, which is basically one note to the next note or one note to the next note in the key you're in at least. And then skips, right? Where you, where you go up a fifth, you go up a fourth, you go up a third. You're not just, you're not just walking up and down. Now, the one side of it is that steps and stepwise motion tends to have a more conversational feel. It's more natural, right? Because most of us, when we talk, is it's very stepwise, right? Like, I, I don't usually go from this to this, right? Like, like, it sounds awkward in speech, right? It's jarring. It gets your attention, which is uh, some points for leaping motion, which we'll get into in a, in a second, but... Generally speaking, conversationally, we tend to go up in tone slowly, right? And subtly as we get more excited, yes, right? So similarly, in melodies, often if you want this like relatable sort of um, conversational tone, there's going to be a lot of stepwise motion. And generally, stepwise motion, regardless of whether you're trying to be conversational or not, is sort of the, the, the default, with leaps in there to sort of add some spice, if you will. If you think about most melodies, and li listen to the melodies for this, but generally speaking, most melodies aren't skipping around constantly. They like step, 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 leap, leap, step, 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 leap, step, step, leap, is generally speaking uh, often what melodies look like. So the other side of this, right, is the leaping or disjunct motion. Conjunct motion is steps. Disjunct motion would be leaps. How are the leaps used? Why are they used? Are they leaping up? Are they leaping down? Why do you think they do those things? Also note that probably most of the time, 
if there's a melody hovering around a certain area, let's say your melody is hovering around C, D, right? And then it jumps up to a G for a note. The first thing to note is that's probably a note that's highlighted, right? You notice that. It's kind of like when I go like, yes, like all of a sudden you're like, oh, what? The, the, I didn't realize I zoned out on this podcast until he just did that. Thanks, Joseph. But also you saved me from falling asleep at the wheel. So life saved. You're welcome. But um, the leap gets attention. Which usually means the leap should be something important. So in that example, if you're hovering around D and C, and then you jump up to a G, probably the word in the lyric at that time shouldn't be the. Right? Like, unless it's the Ohio State Buckeyes, which I hate, and my wife's on vacation, so I can actually say that relatively loudly without being paranoid, because she's a diehard fan. I am... We had an agreement. She becomes a Broncos fan, and I become a Buckeyes fan, and I I uphold that. But I refuse to do the Ohio State Buckeyes, non-ironically, because it is ridiculous and incredibly arrogant sounding. And I feel like everybody who's not an Ohio State fan sees that, but Ohio State fans are incapable of seeing the objective reality that is how ridiculous it is. Anyway, unless we're talking about that, right? Like, nobody says naturally, like, oh, it's the bunny rabbit. Right. Like, what does that mean? I mean, I guess I guess I guess we do for humor's sake or whatever. But like the is not the most important word of that sentence. Right. Most sentences, the is just sort of a filler word. The, uh, with. Right. Now, there are exceptions to this. Right. Like with or without you. Right. Like that. That's an example of like with and without are actually kind of the highlights, uh, which are actually. Yeah, so the width of both words are actually the high points of that melody in that song. But uh, that makes sense, right? Because that, those, those are sort of the, the main words, the, the key takeaways. So how are the leaps being utilized? Are they effective at getting your attention? Uh, and what sounds more conversational? The answer is steps. I already gave you that answer. But like, think about that, especially if, if you listen to some, say, acoustic music or like James Taylor type stuff. Or, or whatever the modern version of James Taylor is, like a Joshua Radin. Or is it Joshua Radin? I never... I feel like I always say it wrong. Anyway, whatever. Him. Um, a lot of times they're probably going to use a lot of lower notes. And they're also going to use... Like, they're not usually hitting high notes. And then usually conversational style goes along with stepwise motion. motion. Speaking of pitch range... Pitch range is another thing to pay attention to. This is a part of an artist's identity. This is a part of, it doesn't have to be, but uh, often I think it, it certainly is. Um, and regardless, it certainly is a part of what makes a song a song. It, it, it's, it's, it's certainly a part of what sort of is the identity of the song. So for example, generally speaking, if you have a narrow pitch range in a song, then is more singable. Now, you may or may not care about it being singable, right? There are certain genres of music that care more about singability, right? There are certain songs that might care about singability. Like, for example, if you're a pop song that's on the radio and your goal is to get people to roll the windows down and be singing along to your bop, uh, probably you want it to be singable, because you want people to be able to join you in the chorus and not just be like, oh, I can't do any of that. And at the same time, usually, 
range is going to be a part of this. So if it's lower in in the respective, you know, like, for example, obviously, when it comes to males and females, the range is very different. Right. So anytime it's a male singing with a female singer, vice versa, this goes out the window. But generally speaking, if you are singing along with somebody of your own gender or in even more specifically voice type, right? Because there's a big difference between a bass and a tenor and soprano and a alto. But singability is also where you're sitting in the pitch range as well as how big the pitch range is. So for one example, Don't Stop Believing has a shockingly small range. I think when I, when I did the songwriter analysis on it, I think it had a total range of a fifth, a fifth. Now, it's all really high notes. I think the lowest note he ever hits is like an E flat. That's um, the one below tenor high C. But and then the high note is is the B flat, I think. So that's all very high, right? If you're not a singer, you're not going to be able to hit any of those notes except maybe the lowest two, maybe. But generally speaking, you have to be a singer to, to hit like the G there and then the notes higher, right? Like most people can't sing or most... Your average guy can't sing a B-flat in full voice. So, so it's singable down the octave, right? So, which is interesting. A lot of pop music does that, right? Because especially the, most pop musicians are, for whatever reason, are sopranos and tenors. I don't know why. Drives me crazy. I'm a baritone alto guy myself. But, like, it is what it is. So a lot of times it is songs that are higher, but they still have smaller pitch ranges in order for people to sing along. Pay attention to that. Is is that what your songs do? Also, by your songs, I mean the songs you're listening to, but also like pitch range per section, right? Different, different sections are going to have different pitch ranges. Generally speaking, you should notice that verses are in lower pitch ranges than the chorus, usually. Where's the bridge? Does the bridge go back down to the verse? Is it somewhere in the middle? Is it even higher than the chorus? What does it do? Right? And, and what are the effects of these things? Generally speaking, you're going to add excitement when you go higher. Which is why usually the chorus is higher. Right? It's actually a pretty bold move to have the chorus be lower than the verse. Not super common because it's uh, hard to pull off or it can be hard to pull off, especially with what you're trying to go for in the chorus. And then how do these pitch range things affect the emotion of the song, right? So, so something I'm a personal big fan of using a large pitch range within a song. A lot of songs, maybe even most songs, utilize maybe an octave, right? A lot of songs do not use a lot of range. I'm sure the singer has a much bigger range. I would hope they do, right? Like any singer worth their salt probably has at least two octaves of full voice, probably more, uh, two, two octaves and a third or something. I don't know. Um, but, but most songs don't have that large of a range. Some do, obviously, but your average song, probably, probably not that big of a range, which is why say the, the U S national anthem is known as being a very difficult song to sing for several reasons. Um, but one of them is that it uses an octave and a sixth, which is very, very, very large for a song. 
which is why it's important for singers who sing it to put it in the right place, right? Because let's say the singer does have a range of a little bit over two octaves. An octave and a sixth is close to their max range. So if they don't start in the right key, they're screwed, uh, which there's plenty of videos of that happening, um, which is some of them are sad and some are funny. And like, I don't just like, is it that hard to pick the right key? Just come on. Anyway. So. Pitch range, how's it being used? Right. I, I love to use pitch range to my advantage. I try to. Not always try to change it up. You never want to do the same thing all the time. But what I would consider quintessential Joseph is is often decently utilizing the fact that I'm a baritone in the verses and then utilizing my upper range in the chorus. Because it gives it this emotional raw feel. And I like that stark contrast, something that I like fits with the music that I write. But it might not with yours, but this is another thing to look for, right? Some of my favorite artists do this thing. And I love it, right? Some of my favorite artists actually don't do this thing. Um, but something to listen to, pitch range. Rhythm. Rhythm. So if you think about it, all the melody is is pitch and rhythm, right? It's a single pitch that moves at a certain rhythm, certain duration of notes, right? So what's the melody doing? Is it fast? Is it a fast moving melody? Is it a slow melody? Does it use like staccato notes? Is it ba, 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 ba? Or is it, you know, legato? Is it really long notes, right? Is, is the person holding a note for a whole measure or two measures often or something? Or is it, you know, mostly quarter notes? What's the rhythm of the melody? And again, how is that being utilized, right? There, there, there's, there's a beauty to legato usually. And then sometimes staccato can have that sort of jarring and, um, yeah, just sort of, sort, of, sort of jarring sound where it's a little more aggressive in some ways. Now, caveat on that, like obviously really this is way oversimplifying, right? Because really what makes something sound aggressive is a whole combination of things, right? What note you're hitting, how you hit it within your vocal range, right? Somebody singing a certain note might be well within their range, so it doesn't sound aggressive, but somebody else might be able to make it sound aggressive because it's towards the top of their range or just they're a better singer so they can make any note sound aggressive or not at will better than the other person, etc. right? Or, or the con... Like, what the note is in context of the chord, right? There's so many things that go into this. So that keep in mind, these are questions to ask. I'm giving tips to go with it, but these are not rules, right? Like it doesn't necessarily mean the melody is getting more exciting when the melody goes up. Usually that's what's happening, right? There's a reason that most choruses are higher, but there are always exceptions to the rules. This is art, of course. So there are always exceptions. But another thing to note, how many notes are in the phrases? I remember a criticism I got early on in songwriting, um, which at first I was like, ah, no. Um, and then eventually I landed on maybe the person being kind of right. Um, but they criticize that. I, they're like, all right, you have good lyrics, man, but like it's a bit wordy, right? Like your phrases are really long. 
And I realized, you know what? There's there was some truth to that. I, I did tend to get you could tell that I started from the lyrics back then more often. And, you know, I, I said exactly what I wanted to say. And sometimes I could have said them in fewer, better words, um, which is something that I like to think I've gotten better at now. But it's certainly something that I did. And, and, and you know, what? there's going to be different styles out there, right? Maybe because wordy is not necessarily a bad thing as bad connotation. But, um, you know, whatever artist you're listening to, how long are their phrases? Are they having really short phrases that are like three to five notes? Do they have relatively long phrases where they're 10 notes or more? And then again, how does that affect the sort of the song and, and your response to the song? You know, the interesting part of that is shorter phrases tend to be more memorable, right? Because we're doing call, answer, call, answer. The phrase that you need to remember is short and then it's largely repeated. And then, you know, the answer part is mostly repeated, but kind of changed or whatever. So it makes it so that it's easier to remember, right? It's, it's, it's like, for example, if your phone number was three digits, three times, right? Obviously there's 10 digits in a phone number, but ignore that for a second. Right, if it's the same three numbers, right, nine seven eight nine seven eight nine seven eight, that's really easy to remember. Whereas if you have seven digits that are all a pattern that repeats, right, seven digits repeating over and over is going to be harder to memorize because you have to memorize seven instead of three. So, how's the rhythm affect your entire listening experience with the song? And then just some last things. Where's there a feeling of tension and release in the melody? And we're, we're going to talk about this a little more in, in, in some of the next week podcasts as we start to talk about chords and arrangement stuff more because really a melody on its own has only so much tension and release. It's usually the pairing of the melody with the arrangement, with the chords that sort of gives it that so, for example, a note in and of itself uh, doesn't have tension. I, actually, a, a note by itself has no tension, really, because it's just a note. It's neutral, right? Just, just like a note doesn't really have a sound. It has a pitch, right? Like an A is an A. An A5 is an A5. But on its own, it doesn't really have a sound in, in, in the sense that, like, it... it, it is this a minor key, a major? Like, you have no idea. If I give you a single note, you have nothing, you know nothing about the sound of that song. Is it a sad song? Is it a happy song? You know nothing because you have one note, right? It's context that gives us everything. The whole, you know, in the key of C major, a C sharp generally is going to sound terrible. A C sharp in the key of C sharp major sounds great. A C sharp in a lot of keys sounds great because <laughs> there are a lot of keys that have a C sharp. Um... But it's the same idea here. Tension and release often comes from that combination of things, but start listening for that. Start listening for how they utilize tension and release to sort of, you know, build, build that tension, really get your attention, and then, okay, relief, right? It's, it's like how a plot builds in a movie, right? You can't just build infinitely and just keep going. You need some release, right? Or, or a TV show might be a better example, you can't just have, let's say it's a five-season TV show. It's hard to pull off a steady, slow build without any resolutions, right? you got to resolve something, or else it's just this constant raise of tension, and then it's a letdown, 
uh, like Lost, right? I, I haven't actually seen Lost, so I'm making fun of something that I probably shouldn't. But And then lastly, is there an exercise to do is as you listen to a song, put, put, put a little like ch- chart or graph down, really just like a piece of paper, line, line, right? Like, like it's going to be a graph. And then take a pencil or pen, and as you listen to the song, draw a line across. Go up when you feel like the, the energy of the melody is going up, and then go down when you feel like it's going down. And see what it looks like. Different songs are going to look completely different. Probably your choruses are going to be higher than your verses. But this is a great way to sort of, again, learn about what melodically it's doing. Be careful, though, with this. It's a good exercise to do with a song in general. But specifically here, we're talking about the melody energy. And then I already alluded to word painting earlier, I believe. Um, But look for word painting. Look for word painting. Word painting, if you don't know, is basically just the idea of the melody sort of painting the same picture as the words. Uh, So for example, Katy Perry's firework has the pre-chorus where she's sort of talking about building up to the firework concept and it goes up and up and up and up and up. And it sort of just sounds like a firework going up, 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 up the way she sings. Or, you know, if it's a song about insanity or, 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 dealing with the same cycle over and over again, having a melody that goes up, down, up, down, up, down, right? It's sort of word painting because your melody is doing the very thing that you're describing. That's basically what word painting is. Look for that. Something that's very effective and really helps with the cohesion that you want between your melody and your lyrics. Hope this was helpful to you. If it was and you're on YouTube, be sure to drop a like. Leave an iTunes review if you found this helpful on iTunes. The last iTunes review I saw was not as positive as the other ones. So if you've been on the fence, go leave a review now. Help me out. Uh, I don't know what the current stars are at. I know I saw a bunch of five stars. Thank you from all of you who have done that. But last person was a three-star person. Apparently, I was too angry during the podcast or whatever. Like I understand I rant. It's a part of the, th- it must really hate Dave Ramsey. <laughs> uh, apparently it's not conducive to learning, but whatever. I hope that if you're still listening, this was more helpful to you and you realize that maybe that was an exception and not the rule or whatever. I don't know. Why do pe- I don't understand why people do like when I don't like a podcast, I just move on. <laughs> like I, I can't even, I have, it is so beyond me to be like, I'm going to take the time to write a review and leave stars for a podcast that I feel meh about that I listen to only one of. Like, shouldn't you at least listen to like five before you leave? A, if you listen to one and don't like it, just why do you have to rain on other people's, like, just leave it alone. I don't know. It's, it's like, I think I've disliked one video on YouTube ever. And it was a Taylor Swift video. <laughs> like... I know that that is like, of course, Joseph, but like legitimately, I think that's the only one I've ever disliked. And I've watched many videos where I vehemently disagree with what's said on there. But like, I don't know. I'm not their target audience, so I just leave it alone. It's fine. Whatever. Um, Taylor Swift, though, whole different thing. She deserves it. Maybe that maybe that reviewer was a Taylor Swift fan. Maybe that's what they're angry about. But (laughs) anyway, 
I hope this was helpful to you. Thank you for those of you who have uh, reached out to me through email and all that. I say this all the time, but I really do appreciate hearing from all of you. It helps keep me motivated. It helps keep me excited about talking about this because if it doesn't help anybody, then what the heck am I doing? I'm just wasting time in my basement at 1150 at night. And, uh, you know, if I'm not helping people, then what, what the heck is it all for? I don't like talking into the lens of a camera that much. Uh, I don't like talking into the void. If you're on a podcast, if you're just listening to the podcast, I don't like talking into the void that much. Um, so hope this was helpful to you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to pick up the free guide. If you haven't already at songwritertheory.com slash free guide for the 10 different ways to start writing a song. I appreciate every single one of you and I'll talk to you next time.